lovers. Welcome to Get Real, a podcast hosted by the National Animal Interest Alliance, through which we'll have deeply honest conversations about animal research so we can learn together and make compassionate choices about our medical future together. Welcome to episode three of Get Real's Raw Truth mini-series, where we focus on how reliable research findings require rigorous animal welfare practices. Here's a disturbing fact for you to consider. Over 95% of our research animals are rodents, and the scientific data that comes from most of them is likely compromised by a surprising source of variability that's generally overlooked by the research community, the bedding in their cages. Joining us today to tell us why this seemingly innocuous cage component may actually be an enemy of rigorous reproducible science is Joel Shepard, an expert in bedding manufacturing who's worked closely with the biomedical research community for over 30 years. Thank you for joining us today on Get Real, Joel. Um, I'm pretty excited about this episode because we're going to talk about something that I think most people in the public don't think about at all. And and I think maybe there are some folks in research that aren't considering this as deeply as they should as well. And so a little background, as everyone knows, we're in the midst of this reproducibility crisis and the Raw Truth miniseries of Get Real is designed to point out some of the things that we need to sort of get our arms around as a research community that we haven't traditionally thought of. Right. So in the first one, we talked about some of the um, extrinsic factors that rodents in particular are exposed to. And we, of course, talk about rodents mainly because over 95 percent of the animals in research are rodents. Right. But we talked about these extrinsic factors like uh, noise and vibration and things that we haven't been monitoring that have a huge impact on the animals and therefore the research outcomes. And then in the second episode, we talked about, you know, what's happening actually inside the animal, right, in the animal's genes, the microbiome of the animal, all of these things as well have an impact on research outcomes and and reproducibility. But the thing we haven't talked about yet is, what about where the mouse is living, right? Inside the cage, what's happening in there, right? And I think most people would appreciate, you know, certainly the temperature of the cage and the humidity and the lighting and obviously the food and water that the animals have access to could impact in a very direct way the well-being of the animal, the stress levels of the animal, and, and therefore the research outcomes, right? But I don't think people are thinking about another major component of the animal's environment, and that is the bedding that the rodents live on. And you are, of course, an expert in this matter. Um, your father was in this business, and you yourself have been in the bedding business as president of Shepherd Specialty Papers uh, for 34 years. So I think this is a great opportunity to delve into this and more detail with someone who is really an expert in bedding and how the bedding that the animals sort of live in, you know, dig through, sleep in, um, soil in, right? How that impacts them biologically and how that may impact the research. Because that's a huge thing. If, If we have to make a different choice about bedding so that we get stronger science, we should do that. So I was hoping that, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about the different kinds of bedding that exist, um, how these substrates are processed, what kind of variability can people expect from different beddings? Well, first of all, Cindy, thanks for inviting me to share my thoughts on this subject. I'm, I'm hopeful that you'll find it helpful and your audience will find it uh, helpful and informative as well. Um, the first bedding that was really used in research were wood chips, And wood chips are commonly used still in various studies and various facilities across the country and the globe, for that matter. 
wood chips are a, generally a byproduct of a, a milling operation where the various grades of wood are being produced. And it's the waste material from the saw blade. Uh, certain brands will be comprised of beech, birch, and maple. And that alone contributes to variability. It could be one, it could be a combination of the three, or it could be two, or who knows what. The most common bedding used today is corn cobs. Uh, corn cobs are a harvested byproduct of a seed corn operation. That's basically corn that's grown for the seeds to be planted to grow corn the following year. And that's also highly variable because there's different varieties. They're grown in different parts of the country. And when it's harvested in August and September, it's placed in a huge pile outside exposed to the elements for up to 11 or 12 months. So there's uh, various degradation that happens to some of the cobs more than others based on where it is in the pile, if it's near the bottom or near the outside or near the center. So it's highly variable. So how does that actually impact the animal's health, right? Because unless the animal is directly impacted, then it's hard to see how the variation of something the animal sleeps on is going to impact research outcomes. Well, first of all, there was a study done Dr. Stephen Weisbroth, uh, you can look it up, it's back in about 1980. And what he found in that study is that all rodents consume some portion of their bedding. You wouldn't think that, it's not necessarily nutritious, but they do. So we take the approach that our bedding should be as consistent and clean as the diets that they are consuming, because it's been proven that they will consume some of their bedding material. Gotcha. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense now. So wood chip and corn cob and... Right. And then another grade of bedding is paper cellulose. And there's various grades of paper cellulose. The less expensive varieties are either a reclaimed fiber where a fiber is recycled within a paper mill. Instead of going into the trash, it's accumulated, dewatered, and made into bedding. And then there is the higher grade cellulose, what I call a virgin cellulose. Trees are chipped in a pulp mill. The wood is pulped. The various chemical components and lignans are cooked out of the material. And all you have left is the raw cellulose. So then it becomes very consistent over a production run, so to speak. Yeah, so it's basically those three grades of material, wood chips, corn cob, and cellulose. But again, not all cellulose is the same. There's recycled grades or virgin grades of cellulose. And obviously the virgin grade is the most clean and consistent material. You know, there are a lot of people um, out in the public with uh, rodents as pets, you know, gerbils, hamsters. Um, some people also have mice and rats as pets. And um, I don't think they think much at all <laughs> about what kind of bedding uh, they use for their animals, right? I mean, if they eat it, it's not going to impact the results of scientific studies, right, <laughs> related to, you know, health and disease, um, all of these things that we're depending on for ourselves and everyone we love, including our pets, right? So this is fascinating, um, you know, the amount of detail that we we have to consider when we raise animals for research, just astounding. 
Now, you mentioned something else interesting. You were talking about the corn cob being left out in a big pile. Um, in addition to the fact that depending on where the lot is that you grab your bedding from in that pile and the impact of uh, the elements on that, you also have concerns about just wild rodents running through there and leaving whatever disease they leave behind that can impact the animals that get the product ultimately. I mean, is that not the case? Well, that, that is. That's one of the factors about a big cob pile. The other one is despite the efforts of the seed corn company trying to remove all those kernels of corn off the cob, there's partial pieces of corn left over. So it is an attractant to rodents, but birds as well. I've gone to a facility and seen these big piles of cob, and there's hundreds or thousands of birds on these piles uh, looking for little pieces of corn left over. And that's just one source of contamination. The other is when that material is out in the elements, in the rain and humidity or the sun, uh, it's a breeding ground for mold and bacteria. So you can, you can actually almost watch it over time. The pile of cob will turn gray, almost black. It'll look like a thatched roof. And then once you get inside the pile of the cob, it'll look brighter yellow. So that gray, black color is mold that's growing on, the, on those cobs. Corn cob is probably the most common bedding used for research rodents right now. Is that correct? The largest percentage is corn cob. That's correct. And I think initially that was because uh, everyone got excited about how well it absorbed ammonia. And, and there are studies now that are questioning whether or not it's, it's a better absorbent of ammonia than some of the pelleted cellulose products, for example, or just cellulose in general. But there are a lot of issues with corn cob. We know that, for example, it disrupts slow-wave sleep in rodents. There have been studies on that. And of course, that then changes the physiology of animals and changes their stress levels, which then has a direct and immediate impact on nearly every kind of thing you're studying in a research situation. And I also had a colleague who found a very direct influence of corn cob on the HPA axis, the stress axis in these rodents that could be passed down to pups that was sort of hardwired, right? So shifting the way animals respond to stress just because they're living on corn cob, right? And in addition to all of these things you just mentioned, so let's actually talk about corn cob because it disturbs me that in the past five minutes, we've already identified several um, variables that can have a very direct and immediate impact on the well-being of the animals and then also on the science and the reproducibility of the science, which then has a direct and immediate impact on how well our studies are done and whether or not we're going to get that treatment and cure that everyone's waiting for, right? So let's talk a little bit more about corn cob. You know, in addition to the fact that we have all this mold that can be in there and, and bacterial contamination, I mean, people will say, well, we can cook that stuff out, right? We can autoclave it out or we can irradiate it out. And I don't think that's completely true of everything that's in corn cob because there, there's other things in there that can influence or confound research outcomes. Am I right? Absolutely. And if you were to take corn cob and set it off for a microbiological assay, a typical aerobic plate count will come back well in excess of 100,000 colony forming units. Uh, yeast and mold will be similar, not quite as high as compared to a virgin bleach cellulose will be essentially zero. So it's a fact that there is a very high bacterial load and yeast and mold load in corn cob. So some folks think, well, we'll get it irradiated. We'll sterilize this material by irradiation and we'll be safe. Or they might say, we're going to autoclave everything going into the facility and uh, kill all those organisms with heat and steam. 
but the components within those bacteria and the yeast and mold are chemicals, specifically endotoxins are from the bacteria and mycotoxins from within the yeast and the mold. And those do all kinds of things. Mycotoxins, for instance, can simulate pregnancy in animals. Who knows all the effects that it can have, but they're there and it's been measured and even specific phytoestrogens have been identified. Right. And so phytoestrogens will have a very direct impact on cancer studies, for example. You know, mycotoxins can affect reproductive studies. And I mean, it just goes on and on. But the stuff, they use it to sandblast, you know, houses, right? I mean, <laughs> to get the paint off, you know, the old paint off. I mean, that's how abrasive this stuff is. And we ask our animals to sleep on it, right? So even if you don't talk about the toxins and the phytoestrogens and the immediate obvious impact that that has on, you know, a, a huge amount of, of research we do, in, especially in cancer, right? This is, you know, we spend a lot of money, the federal government does on cancer studies. And I think corn cobs should be outlawed for cancer studies and probably everything else. But even if we just get away from the direct contaminants, and you just think about the fact that these animals can't sleep on what amounts to, you know, sleeping on a bunch of pointy rocks <laughs> and the impact that that has on their stress system. That's astounding to me, right? I mean, the whole point of what we do is to reduce or eliminate stress so that we can get really, really strong data from these animals um, with as little variability as possible so that we don't have to work with as many to get the results we're looking for. And corn cob just seems like the worst substrate you could ever put an animal on. And I don't know, I feel like it's very irresponsible science for people to use corn cob. I mean, relative to like a cellulose that is a purer compound and is doesn't have these complications. Um, how do you feel about that? Am I, am I over the top on this? No, you're exactly right. It forms a nice substrate in the bottom of a cage, but that's pretty much where it ends. It's not a soft material. The animals can't make a nest out of it. And there's been some studies out there that if a mouse can have a choice of being on one bedding versus another, corn cob comes in last every time. Yeah. It may be tasty, but it's nothing to live on, <laughs> right? Okay, well, I have another question for you then. Why do you think it's so, I mean, you're, you're mentioning studies. I've mentioned studies. Certainly the research community is aware of the problems with corn cob, <laughs> and yet they continue to put their animals on them. Um, why do you think they're doing that? Well, if it's, this is bad for science, why is the research community and the lab animal community continuing to house rodents on corn cob as a substrate? Well, uh, a few reasons. It's relatively inexpensive until you try to clean it up by irradiating it or autoclaving it. You're adding cost when you do that. So that might be one reason. Another reason is uh, it does a, a decent job in a bulk handling dispensing system because it's dense and it's small particle size. I've always had a problem with that mindset because we are asking the animals and the research to conform to an operational issue. In other words, your facility wants to move material around very efficiently and easily, but the animals were being sacrificed in that instance to an inferior material that's very likely confounding some research. Yeah, uh, th see this, this, this makes me very angry. <laughs> This really gets me going, right? Because the whole reason that these beautiful creatures are involved in this is for the best science possible. 
And they are the number one priority, right? So if we know we're doing something that doesn't support strong science, we need to stop doing it, right? We're there to support the science. You know, our animals pay the price just as you said, and then so do our patients. And something so simple as switching the bedding out. Yeah, it might be more expensive to do it well, but that's what we're supposed to do, right? That's what the money's for. Otherwise, what are we really supporting? If we're not supporting strong science, what are we supporting? Careers? I mean, <laughs> what is the point of that? Um I don't know. It just makes me so angry. But while we're talking about it, then let me be the devil's advocate here. Um, you sell very high quality cellulose products, which we've already discussed. Those are the best products to house research mice on for sure and rats and research rodents. But you also do sell corn cob. I mean, so how do you reconcile that, you know, with what, you know, you clearly have just stated that you, you just think it's a horrible substrate for science. You know, wh why do you sell corn cob if you feel that way? We have uh, blended corn cob with one of our cellulose products. We, we looked at it as a way to help some facilities transition to a cellulose product as a stepping stone to get away from corn cob. So that's one. And another one, we add an enrichment item. It's not my choice, but if somebody says, uh, hey, we've got studies that we can't change bedding midstream, but we can add some enrichment. Then the way I looked at it, if you have to use corn cob, at least use it with something in it that a mouse can make a nest out of or where they can separate the material, use some species-specific behaviors where they can move material around. But straight corn cob, uh, not interested. You mentioned something I do think is interesting and potentially valid, right? So if somebody is in the middle of a study, it would be disruptive, I think, to change mid-study. Certainly that's going to raise the variability through the roof, right? But after that, you know, reestablish baselines and work with substrates that will give you better science. We had the same arguments way back when about environmental enrichment, right? Everybody realized that this was way better for the animals and that that was going to improve their state of being and that was going to bring us stronger science. And you still had some folks who were kind of holding out saying, yeah, but the information I get if I use it now is not going to compare to what I used before. And my answer then is the same as my answer now, which is, listen, if you were doing bad science before, you didn't know it. Now you know it. Are you going to keep doing bad science? <laughs> we have an obligation, you know, to change things. And yeah, it's going to be more work. And um you know, I think what people are really afraid of um, is that, yeah, it costs more. There's all of that. But I think also there's a concern that what if I find out that my previous results really don't hold up when the animals are in a more steady state? What if my results were the result of something else and not what I was actually studying? And I think all of those are valid questions and also valid fears. But more than anything, I think we have an obligation to correct it. So your, your wood chip bedding has toxins in it. Corn cob bedding has toxins in it. Virgin cellulose bedding does not. Okay, that seems pretty straightforward. But let me ask you another question. There are people out there that will tell you, well, our product, whatever kind of bedding it is, is certified. Now, shouldn't that make us feel like everything's okay if it's certified? Oh, yeah. This has been a pet peeve of mine for years. Certified in the simplest description of what that means from a manufacturer standpoint is some sort of production batch of material is being produced of bedding. Let's say it's a, a truckload of bedding. Samples are taken in a consistent manner throughout the production run. And then those samples are gathered and they're homogenized and a chemical analysis is done on that sample. Then that's the certificate of analysis that goes with that batch. That's it. That doesn't mean it's certified for cancer research. It just means that it's been batched and a certificate of analysis was done for that batch. It doesn't mean that there was any quality difference or 
suitability for any particular use. And unfortunately, some end users in our industry believe that the bedding manufacturers are certifying their bedding for some particular study for use, and, and that's not the case. So certified means nothing, really, of real value. <laughs> and, um, and what we ought to be looking at is what our various vendors are screening for so that we know what's in our bedding, so that we know what's in our animals, so that we know what's going to happen to our science. Let me ask you another question. When you're talking about cellulose beddings, there's this virginal product, but there are lower grade cellulose products, and you mentioned that as well. Do they have toxins in them? I mean, are they problematic in that same way? They are because it's hard to make a consistent product from something that is recycled from lots of different materials from different sources. So we've tested recycled materials for heavy metals and found lead and mercury and PFAS. And there's nothing in the virginal cellulose. Correct. So your father was in the paper and the milling business, and, and he was trying to find a product that would be valuable to our field. You are concerned more about the needs of the animals and the research, and you sort of come at it from the other side where you spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, well, how do I provide what's best for the research? And you have this very clear vision, and it's all over your website, uh, about excellence in the cage. Can you tell us a little bit about why all of that matters so much to you? Some of it came from when I when I heard your first podcast. I've always felt this way, but it kind of crystallized for me in the past year and a half or so that everything in that cage really matters for the health of the animal and the work that the researchers are doing. And if we focus on excellence in that environment, it's going to improve the lives of those animals and that research is going to be better. What do you think research animals should be housed on? My firm belief is that research animals should be housed on not just paper cellulose, but a virgin paper cellulose. Virgin paper cellulose is far more consistent than a recycled cellulose and certainly more than, as we talked about, wood and corn. It's just the way it's manufactured. Each run is consistent from shift to shift, day to day, week to week, month to month and on. The composition is consistent and its performance will be consistent. Right. I have really appreciated all of the information you've shared with us today. And before I let you go, I just want to ask if you have any final thoughts, anything else you want to share with our listeners related to bedding and rodents and research? I can't stress it enough that they're on bedding 24-7. They spend their whole lives on bedding. We should give them the best bedding that there is. It's that simple. And that's the raw truth from Joel Shepard of Shepard Specialty Papers. We should give them the best bedding there is. It's that simple. Joel's absolutely right. In fact, we should give our research animals the best of everything possible within the scope of our studies. Because we love them and because we need them. These animals lose everything for us. We give them cancer and countless other disorders to learn about health and disease. And while we do everything in our power to minimize their discomfort, many still suffer and most of them die. For me, for you, and for everyone we love, including our pets. It's a privilege to work with these beautiful creatures and we abuse that privilege every time we settle for anything less than excellent when it comes to their care. We owe them that. And we owe it to everyone still struggling with unmanageable diseases, too. It really is, as Joel said, that simple. I'm Dr. Cindy Buckmaster, your host for Get Real, and I hope you're enjoying our Raw Truth miniseries. 
please be sure to visit the episode response pages on our website to learn more about the topics discussed. You know, stronger science requires public engagement. So I want to know your thoughts and feelings about the things we discuss. Tell me what's in your heart, whatever it is. Get Real is our safe place. There's no judgment here, and your identity will be protected. Go to getrealpodcast.info and send me your raw truth in the areas provided. I'll post your comments on our social media channels for discussion. It's time for us all to get real together. And don't forget to visit our support link to make a small monthly donation to help us keep rolling. Your commitment to me will help me keep my commitment to you. Coming up, you know who else should care about rodent bedding? Sea lions. Find out why on the next episode of Get Real. We'll talk soon.